The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you simply know you're in the right place. Today's buzz, think Johnny Nash, 1972. I'm going to try not to sing this. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Just let that sink in for a second. Okay. Now, the digitization of global economies has shifted traditional supply chain models. And we do need to see clearly now. That's where the song comes in. You now need immediate access. I mean immediate to accurate consolidated data. You need to be able to integrate outcomes throughout your entire organization real time. Aha. Uh-huh. Why? You have to, well, you have a couple of interesting things. You've got to respond to short-term demand. You've got to keep your eye on the long-term strategic objectives and you have to fulfill your commitments. It's complex. There's a lot. But you need to have a laser focus on being customer-centric. That's the buzz. That's the word on the street. That's what everybody's talking about today. It's about the customer. How are you going to do all this? Well, we're going to talk today about something called the perfect order. Sounds perfect to me. Let me tell you who's on the panel today, and then we'll hear from them. First up, I'll be speaking with Jamie Larson, America's SAP supply chain leader at EY, Ernst & Young, and a shout-out to our friends at EY. Joining Jamie on the panel is Rich Benner, Global Customer Care Strategist, IT Director at Monsanto. He's a newcomer to the show, as is Jamie. And rounding out the panel, another newcomer, it's Martin Barkman, B-A-R-K-M-A-N, VP in SAP's Extended Supply Chain Management Organization. So let me go back to Jamie Larson. And Jamie has sent me an opening quote, very interesting one, from Max Planck. Anybody wondering who Max Planck was? He lived from 1858 to 1947. He was a German theoretical physicist whose work on quantum theory, yes, you've heard of quantum theory, won him the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1918, and quantum theory is what his fame rests on. But very interestingly enough, he was gifted as a musician and took lots of singing lessons, played the piano, the organ, and the cello, composed songs and operas, and instead of music, he chose to study physics. We'll just leave that one there. So, hey, all you out there, if your kids are musicians and they still have another avenue that interests them, just let them go and do what they need to do. They could end up being the next Nobel Prize winner in physics. Jamie Lyson sent us the following quote from Max Planck. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. How profound. Jamie Larson, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Are you a big follower of Max Planck? Did you know that he was a, a child a musician, maybe even a prodigy, before he went into physics? 
Actually, I knew him for his physics. I did not uh, realize he was also uh, a musician as well. Interesting guy. So talk to me about this. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Very, very interesting. I think it's a philosophical quote. How does it relate to our topic? We're talking about the perfect order, customer centricity, supply chain. Big topic today. Jamie? Yeah, I, I think um, it, certainly it's it's it didn't pick the quote due to uh, his, his experience in quantum theory, but um, you know that, that this quote is really as relevant today as it, as it was uh, you know 100 years ago. Um, and the reason why I, I picked this is, and why I think about this on a regular basis is, as we look at customer challenges, um, as we look at system challenges, technology challenges, um, we really can't approach it the way we typically have in the past with traditional methods, uh, traditional technologies, traditional business models. Um, we really have to rethink how to solve the problem, how to leverage some of the newer technologies that are now available to us, um, and and how to use the combination uh, to to look at things completely differently and to provide solutions that will will help customers really rethink and and meet the customer demands that that are out there. So I I try to look at things in a different lens and and not the way that I was solving problems 20 years ago or even, even five years ago. Things have changed dramatically. They certainly have. And and when I mentioned Jamie in my intro, I used the words immediate and the word real time. Is this really possible today or is this still, well, we're not quite there. Where are we? No, actually, the, the, the technology has caught up. Um, I, I know in the past, and I unfortunately, not, well, fortunately, I've been around a while, um, where technology was was in the past really prohibited um, from things occurring real time, prohibited um, really the clients as well as um, our internal clients from being able to meet their objectives and their and their their needs in terms of real time data, real time information. Um, now, technology has really leaped to the point where um, it, it's it's more of the the art of what's possible. Um, and, and once you can determine how you can leverage and use this real-time information, real-time data, uh, as long as it's, it's relevant data, um, you're, you're able to really put some, some real power in, in, in the hands of the business as well as uh, meet those the, the demands, and, and the demands continue to increase from, from the customer mm-hmm. base. Thank you very much, Jamie. Good introduction to our topic. And now I'd like to welcome Rich Benner, Global Customer Care Strategist, IT Director at Monsanto. And Rich has sent me a quote from Steve Jobs, frequently quoted on the show, and I never get tired of looking at Steve Jobs' bio because he was so fascinating. Uh, interestingly, and well, everybody knows, at least I know very well, that he passed away on October 5th, 2011, because that was the day I introduced Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship Game Changers show here at S. And I will never forget that shortly after we got off the air, we heard the news that Steve Jobs had passed away. But shortly after his death, his official biographer, Walter Isaacson, said the following about Steve Jobs, a creative entrepreneur whose passion for perfection and ferocious drive revolutionized six industries, personal computers, animated movies, music, phones, Tablet computing and digital publishing. That's quite a legacy. A little sidebar, I don't know if even Rich knows this. Uh, Steve Jobs dated Joan Baez, who had already had a relationship with Bob Dylan, and <laughs> let's just leave it at that. He got around. Here's the quote. Get closer than ever to your customers, so close that you tell them what they need well before they realize it themselves. Rich Benner, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Good morning, Bonnie. Thank you. I'm very good. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. You a big fan of Steve Jobs? I don't know who isn't one way or the other, but how did you pick this quote? We're talking about supply chain. We're talking about real-time data. We're talking about customer centricity. I can see the link here. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> 
I could imagine Steve has been uh, quoted many times on, on this show. Um, you know, we are thinking about things from a customer viewpoint very uh, much. That is exactly the lens that we look at, look, uh, at, at, at solving problems now. Traditionally, you solve problems in a uh, more functional uh, within a company. That's not what matters to customers. Customers don't care about your internal parts. So I really like this quote because if we can be thinking about the customers, we can solve the customer problems from looking at it from their viewpoint. We will act differently internally as a, as a company. We all, uh, we all can think about um, examples of companies that serve us well, companies who have not served us well, and the companies that we would shift our dollars to and from. And, uh, and that's really why we as a company are really starting to be uh, thinking about this from a customer viewpoint. Interesting. Uh, let me just take a, a step back here, Rich. When I was opening and talking, well, I was just talking with Jamie Larson about real time and about immediate access. Let's do a little deeper dive into Steve Jobs' quote. So close you can tell them what they need before they realize it themselves. Is that the opportunity here to be so customer centric that you're telling your cu- customers, not only do we know you need it, but we can deliver it? Aha, I'm looking for that eureka moment, that flash in their eyes that said, gee, that sounds good. I didn't even, what, hadn't even thought about that. Is that the goal here? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's about, it's about uh, determining, predicting what that customer wants, make sure that that customer gets that product by the time that, uh, that they need it. Uh, in my industry, we need to deliver products by the time that Mother Nature is telling them that they have to put seed into the ground. Uh, and so that is a very, very important uh, part of our, our processes. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Great quote, by the way, Rich, and welcome to the show. And now let's go around the table to Martin Barkman, VP in SAP's Extended Supply Chain Management Organization. And Martin has sent us a quote from Bill Gates. Interestingly enough, Gates is not quoted as much as Steve Jobs is on Game Changers. <laughs> We've had about a thousand shows, and, and just interesting to me to look back and see who has quoted whom. So let's see. Uh, Bill Gates, William Henry Bill Gates, born 1955. He's all of age 60 right now. And and uh, let's see, starting in 1987, Gates was included in the Forbes list of the wealthiest, wealth, world's wealthiest people and was the wealthiest from 1995 to 2007, again in 2009, and has been since 2014. He's currently the wealthiest person in the world with a net worth of $90 billion as of August of this year and one of the best-known entrepreneurs of the personal computer revolution. Uh, interestingly enough, I don't know if anybody knows this, um, he attended the Lake side school in Seattle, a private prep school. When he was in eighth grade, the mother's club at the school used the proceeds from a rummage sale to buy a teletype model 33 ASR terminal and a block of computer time on a GE computer for the students. That's when Gates first became so interested. Uh, and his career goes on and on from there. Fascinating backstory. I'm not going to tell it all, but go to Wikipedia and just look him up. Here's the quote Martin has selected from Bill Gates. We always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years and underestimate the change that will occur occur in the next 10. Don't let yourself be lulled into inaction. Martin Barkman, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Love the quote. So we're overestimating, we're underestimating. Is he right? Talk to me about the quote. 
Well, and some people might even say that we're misunderestimating, which, of course, is not a real word. Um, the, the reason I think that this quote is, is interesting is, you know, whenever we see a new technology platform or, or gadget come along, you know, people take it with a little bit of skepticism, but then sometimes there's a lot of euphoria. Uh, but what's often missed in those discussions is how people change the way they do work and how customers' expectations change. Um, I mean, I remember the day that I saw my first email on my mobile phone. Uh, at the time, I was having a very old-fashioned phone, and I said, okay, that's neat. And then, of course, here we are maybe 13 years later, and mobile computing uh, has really changed what people expect in terms of uh, what, how they should receive their products, how they should order their products, and companies have had to significantly adapt in order to accommodate that. And you often see this, this euphoria in these bubbles, and then when they pop, everybody says, ah, see, it was just a fad. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is while that's happening, uh, things are changing underneath. And when you take a look back, you know, 10 years ago, the way business is done is so different now compared to then, and in part because of these changes that have occurred slowly, bit by bit, over time. So I, I, I think it's very interesting uh, insight, and what I think is particularly interesting is that he made it back in, uh, in 1995, and that was, you know, the beginning of, of the, the so-called dot-com bubble, and then when that burst, of course, everyone thought it was, it was in, in large part over, and here we are, and, and we're talking about digitization in a whole new way. So I just think it's a fascinating, um, fascinating quote from that perspective. Absolutely is. you mind if I just give you two more little, little uh, dots of trivia about Bill Gates? I think you'll enjoy them, Martin. Is that all right with sure. you? Yeah. Well, when he was using that PDP-10 along with his other student, students, uh, Paul Allen included, Rick Weiland and Kent Evans, they exploited bugs in the operating system so they could get free computer time because the mom's club, mom's school club, had only bought a certain amount of time and these kids were fascinated. So they did a workaround inside the system and got themselves more time and they were kicked off. Uh, after Later on, after Gates showed his extraordinary programming abilities, he wrote the school's computer program to schedule students for classes. What do you think he did with that information? He put himself in classes with a disproportionate number of interesting girls because he was in charge of the whole scheduling system. Clever boy, and look at the fortune he made doing it. Thank you, Martin. Great quote and and very interesting. So, gentlemen, it's time for us to get a little up close and personal here. Not too, just enough. Jamie Larson, I'm going to circle back to you and ask you, where are you calling from today? And what's in your cup today if you're drinking something interesting? If not, what's your favorite drink? And, And give me a little backstory just briefly. Jamie? Sure, sure. So um, I am uh, in Chicago today, and um, uh, it's, it's 9 o'clock here in, in the morning, and, and um, typically folks would be drinking probably their second cup of coffee, but uh, I am not a coffee drinker, so um, usually in the mornings I'm drinking uh, water or juice or something, something fairly, fairly boring. But what, what is interesting is, is the mug I'm drinking it out of, which is a uh, Chicago Cubs mug. So um, I think this will be the year we finally break that curse and, and win our World Series after uh, 108 years. I know my colleague, Rich Benner, probably won't be too happy about that, but I'm crossing my fingers. 
<laughs> very, very interesting. Well, we can only hope. If mugs have something to do with it, then, you know, buy a whole, buy a whole case of them. That's fine. <laughs> Appreciate that very much. No ends will fans stop at nothing in order to get that championship. Okay. Rich Benner, where are you calling from today at Monsanto somewhere? And what are you drinking or what are you thinking about drinking? Or what are you drinking yeah. it in? All hmm. right. So, I am from St. Louis, and wow, Jamie, I can't believe you bring the Cubs into this mix. Oh, <laughs> oh man. So, no, it, it's gonna con- the curse will continue. Uh, 1908 will, will, will remain the last year, but I am in Phoenix uh, today, uh, 7 a.m., and what better way to start out a day than drink red wine, right? Red <laughs> wine is not only is it good for the heart, which is the main reason I drink red wine. Uh, but, you know, you can think about how much you can enjoy red wine from the sight of it. You know, just the sight makes me happy. You know, you can watch the legs go down the side of a glass, the nose of the wine, the smell of that bouquet, and then obviously the, the taste of it. So, so that is in what's in my glass this morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. All right, we're just going to let that one sit and enjoy the aroma, the bouquet, as you will. That's just fine with me, okay? And yes. Martin, I'm, af- I'm afraid to ask Martin what you're drinking today, but why don't you go ahead and tell me. Martin, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? I am spending the day in the state of Nebraska, so uh, a beautiful place. And, you know, Bonnie, I'm a, I'm a chemical engineer by training, so... Uh, I don't refer to them as beverages. I think of them as liquids. And to me, what's interesting oh. about a liquid is its underlying components. So at the moment, moment, I am imbibing a liquid that has the chemical compound caffeine. Uh, as the day progresses, I will shift to, uh, to, to pure water. And then uh, after my workout, I will uh, consume some electrolytes followed by some uh, high-powered protein. So I'm a complete nerd I look at beverages as merely an input into my uh, my body, which is my production plant. Wow, that's very profound, Martin. I never expected that. Interesting, and I have to ask people what their favorite liquid is now. I guess I can't use beverage anymore. Well, you certainly are a game changer, sir. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, uh, you don't know me, and I don't know you, but I'm drinking a cool, clear a cup of cool, clear water through a cool, clear straw because they do not allow me to have beverages with caffeine on radio show days. We'll just leave that one alone. <laughs> so I have one quick question before we go to break. Jamie Larson, in my opening, we're I said we're talking about customer centricity, the perfect order. I don't think we've talked about the perfect order. Usually I wait for the roundtable to get to that, but I want everybody to know what is this customer centricity through the perfect, what is the perfect order? What is perfect about it and whose order is it? So when you just give us a, a quick level set on what, what terminology we're using here. Yeah, sure, certainly. So the perfect order is uh, a, a request for product or delivery from a customer that um, flows through the system completely untouched, um, meets the customer's demands in terms of their, their requested delivery date, is delivered um, exactly when they want it, how they want it, um, with, without human intervention. Um, that, that's my definition of a perfect order. Let me go through the panel quickly. Let's cycle through around the table and see Rich Benner, agree or disagree? And you want to add anything to that definition? You know, I do agree, and, and just to add a little bit of words to it, you know, sometimes we kind of think about this as a zero-touch, perfect order. So that, that is as simple as it is. No human intervention, and the order gets to the customer. Yep, hmm. I agree with Jamie. Interesting. Martin Bartman, anything you want to add to that one? I, 
I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I think the one thing that's interesting about Perfect Order is how, uh, also from the customer's perspective, what would they say is uh, the receipt of a perfect order and how do they weigh, you know, getting the right quantity versus uh, at the right time and how that really can be fluid and dynamic and, and changing over time. So it, it's one of those noble aspirations that, that you attain to achieve. Uh, and as long as you're working on it, you're in, you're, you're in a good spot. But I don't know if it's a, a place where you ever get to. Perfect order is a noble aspiration. I'm putting that into a tweet. I think that's a tweetable moment there. We're going to have to quote you on that. Jamie, do you agree? Noble aspiration? Um, I, you know, I, I, think, uh, I, I think it should be more an aspiration. I think we, we, we should strive for it and actually achieve it. Um, I, I think there's certain channels that you can achieve it. Other channels you, you may not be able to. But, um, it, you know, we look at it as uh, something that uh, we, we strive for and something that we believe can be achieved. Okay, I'm going to let it go with that. You know what? The three of you have earned a break just about that time of the day. So we're going to go out for just about a minute and 10 seconds, and we'll be back in perfect order. Our topic today is customer centricity through the perfect order. We have a lot more to chat about with our panelists, Jamie Larson at EY, Rich Benner at Monsanto, Martin Bartman at SAP, and I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Rising customer expectations, complex supply networks, and a focus on your business's bottom line make it more important than ever to bring your extended supply chain into the future. Your extended supply chain is one of the most critical components of your business success. From matching supply to demand with efficient order fulfillment to designing and manufacturing amazing products, hear how you can bring your extended supply chain into the future. Our experts discuss how the extended supply supply chain of the future is producing dramatic results to businesses worldwide. The extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers. Indeed we are, and I have a shout-out to Rick Ember and Shane Ellis at SAP. Rick is sponsoring this series, and Shane is working with me and all of the panelists to come up with great topics and fascinating speakers, which he does all the time. So thank you, Shane, for your care and nurturing of Game Changers here. So it's time for us to start our roundtable in earnest. When I used to say I met somebody named Ernest, my mother would say, is he sincere? We'll leave that one on the table. Mom's going to be 100 in a couple weeks, and she can say anything she damn well pleases. So let's go. Go to 
to uh, Jamie Larson. I'm looking at your notes. You told me a lot of good stuff before the show. Let's start with this topic. You say digital transformations impact on supply chain visibility. That's the header. Let me read a little. The digitization of global economies has shifted traditional supply chain models with the necessity of immediate visibility to assess the most effective way to meet the constant changes to demand and supply. This is the way information is presented has also revolutionized to focus on mobility and real-time data and availability. Why don't you expand this? I know we started talking about this in the beginning, but let's do a deeper dive, Jamie. Sure, and, and this really relates to how do we achieve the uh, the perfect order, right? And, and in order for us to achieve that perfect order, um, we, we have to have the inventory available, we have to have the uh, visibility of the demand, and we have to be able to match that supply and demand effectively in, in, in near real time. And uh, really the digital transformation and, and what's occurred is, uh, first of all, the applications that can support these types of, of decision-making um, applications that bring in information across the globe, across your, your, your region that you're operating in under in terms of what I have, what I'm producing, uh, what the demand is, and, and, and not the demand particularly just from sales orders, but from, from other aspects as well. There may be uh, customer sentiment that we're, out, that we're out trying to achieve and trying to uh, measure. Uh, there may be impacts that are, are seasonal that we want to we look at and bring this information together and then make key decisions on where to put my product to be able to best supply those, those customer demands. So, um, you know, in the past, we, we do long-term planning uh, with some short-term forecasting, put product out where we think it's going to be and let the orders flow. Now, it's much more around understanding what's changed since those forecasts have been put together and, and how do we gain visibility to what's changed and then how do we react. Quick question for you, Jamie, before I invite Rich and Martin to chime in on this. Question is, is this breaking news to our listeners who are, who are in manufacturing? They're in anything that requires a supply chain. They're saying, what? I need to do this? Are you kidding me? Or is this something they're already aware of and we're just making the point a little sharper for them? So where do we stand on this? Is this widely known that they have to do this, that digitization, digitalization, whatever you call it, has already happened and they have to be talking about customer centricity? They have to have access to that accurate, immediate, real-time information. Is this breaking news? So I'm sure most of the listeners on here certainly understand um, that, that visibility is key and important to, and the first step really to be able to react. So it, it's a matter of how do we do this and how can you achieve this and how can you leverage um, the, the tools, the processes that are out there today in order to, to gain the visibility. Once you got visibility, then you can react. And, and many of the customers and clients that I, that I talk to, this is exactly where they're starting is visibility. Once I've got that visibility, then I can determine what my course of action needs to be. Thank you very much. Rich Benner, let's hear from you. Thoughts? You know, um, I I do agree with what Jamie said there. And and one of the things that that I think is important is to start measuring. You have to start measuring the perfect order to find out where your gaps are. Um, We have recently gone through and and, uh, have made that visibility to every every region around around the world uh, within our company. And that... uh, what that has done for us is allow our business teams to start looking at where the gaps are. Where are we not serving the customers in a way that uh, they, they expect to, whether that's, whether that's on-time delivery, whether that's uh, the right product or invoicing or whatever it may be as, as part of that overall measurement. So, um, yeah, so, so 
completely agree with Jamie, and I think that the the measurement part of this is so important and and uh, eye opening. Uh, for, uh, uh, for us to be able to, uh, to go after the problem areas. Thank you very much. Martin Barkman, let's get your POV on this. You don't have to agree with them, but you can if you want to. What do you think? I guess, I guess the question I would ask is, um, you know, sometimes when you hear the term perfect order, also it implies, uh, you know, perfection is like 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, at some point, companies are faced with a choice, which is, can I really achieve perfection in the eyes of that customer? And then they start asking themselves, do I need to make choices? Do I need to make trade-offs? Do I need to, to segment my customers and, and have differentiated service? And these, uh, by customer segment or, or, or by market. And these can be tricky conversations and, and they can become emotional conversations. Um, and, and so my question would be, is perfection 100% defined in the eyes of the customer? I think the answer is probably it's tough to not say yes. But in, in, in any kind of system where there are constraints that come into play and, and there are capital choices that have to be made, you know, the, these, these warrant real, uh, uh, real eye-opening moments for many customers. And then, of course, things change over time. So, so it's a... Uh, it can lead to some interesting decisions and discussions inside organizations, I would imagine. At least that's what I've seen. I like that. Let's circle back around the table to Jamie. Jamie, does perfect order require 100% perfection from you for from the in the eyes of your customer? How perfect do you have to be? Yeah, it, Martin brings up a, a great point um, around how do you deal with within the exceptions, right? And how do, how do you look at segmentation from, from customers? And some... Some folks don't like to talk about it, don't like to do it, but uh, the reality is um, you don't have a, a um, completely unlimited amount of supply where any order comes in, you'll be able to uh, fulfill it. Um, it. It just doesn't make perfect business sense. So what do you do with the exceptions? And, and those exceptions could come in the form of customer segmentation or those, those exceptions could come in the form of alternative product, alternative locations where um, you can have uh, certain algorithms, certain business rules that allow you to um, supply the customer with an acceptable alternative um, and, and still trying to meet that, that near-perfect order, I'll say, um, in order for that, that customer not to turn around and, and go somewhere else because it's so easy for customers these days to um, change products and, 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 and move to a different website and order, order another product or a competing product, and, and that's something we want to avoid. That's right. It's easy to find a competitor, and it's easy to make all kinds of decisions in the blink of an eye or the click of a mouse. Rich Bender, you want to weigh in on this? Who, whose idea, 100% perfection, is that only in the eyes of the customer, and can companies live up to that? I think that there's uh, two points I'd like to make. If you look at the calculation of how a perfect order is, is calculated, you, you have order accuracy. You have four, four key components, order accuracy, fulfillment, on-time delivery, and billing accuracy. If you're 95% successful on each one of those, you're only at 81% of a perfect order. So mm-hmm. it, to, to think about 100% is, is, I mean, it's, it is going to be nearly impossible to, to be 100%. I think striving for that, um, that, that perfect order is, is really what we're, what we're looking at, but realizing that 100% is hard. Um, and, and the second part that I would say is that, you know, you have a, 
um, you know, your cost to serve, I mean, it, to try to get to 100%, it, it, there may be a, 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 a balance point there that it doesn't make sense. And, and Jamie's point about segmentation is, is really how, how I would think about this, is that you would then focus on your best customers to, to strive higher potential for a perfect order. Um, and, and so it's, it, it is a balance, and, and some decision points have to be made uh, based on that. Very interesting. Since we brought up those numbers, that was actually where I was going to go in your notes, Rich. So thank you for uh, leading me through that. I appreciate the segue. Let's go around the table and see if everybody agrees. Let me read this formula again. Rich says 95% order accuracy. That's one one piece of it. 95% fulfillment is another. 95% on-time delivery is another. And finally, we round it out with 95% Bill accuracy equals just 81.4% perfect order. Let me go to Martin next around the table. Martin, this is something I'm interested in. Agree or disagree with the math, or do you have a better formula? Uh, I am not a human calculator, so I assume that (laughs) 0.95 to the fourth power equals 0.814. But, uh, (laughs) you you know, I I think that measurement can be... uh, I think it makes perfect sense because it does have both an external uh, and an internal uh, implication. The, the, the one, you know, we talked a little bit about the trade-offs and the decisions. I mean, the other, the other question a lot of companies have to ask is what fundamental changes to the process or the capabilities can be made uh, to, to enable a step change in any one of those four or other dimensions uh, to be faster and better. Uh, you know, a company that I think is, is very innovative is, is Amazon and the way they are now uh, moving to where, where you can order something and, and get it delivered same day or, or in some markets even with, within a couple of hours. That's going to raise the stakes uh, for everybody else uh, in, in terms of, you know, what, what they might say is an acceptable delivery time. So I just think the dynamic element of, of this, this perfect order is just so interesting. And how can companies get ahead of that and anticipate what, what, where they need to be, not just based on today's measurements, but measurements to four, ten years down the road? Uh, it's going to require some, some real changes, I'm afraid, to some traditionally executed processes. Now, you just said real changes, I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? I think it's or who a, is it's a, who is afraid? It's a, well, it's a figure of speech. I know uh, that. And, uh, and, and that there are, I mean, it, it, in some ways it goes back to the quote uh, that I mentioned that Bill Gates had, which I guess when it comes to the Chicago Cubs, instead of 10 years, we'll have to put 100 years um, <laughs> and, and the impact that that change can make, but but kidding aside, it, it's it's a uh, uh, the, the idea is that you you, you don't want to be in chasing uh, your way towards these measurements and constantly feeling like you're catching up because right when you get there, uh, the standard, the expectation may have changed, and that's the real mm-hmm. tricky part is. You know, for example, looking into the future, is delivery window going to be the one area where companies are going to say, you know, we used to say we could get the shipment in five days, but all of a sudden they come back and they say, say they want same-day delivery. 
and and that kind of blows up the math all of a sudden on what would have been uh, acceptable on on that particular axis. So that to me is is what could be a little bit scary and intimidating for companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for those that that embrace that challenge, is a real opportunity to to leapfrog the competition. Thank you, and that's really what it's all about. And let's circle around to Jamie Larson. Jamie, any thoughts on this? This. Uh, formula that we gave i know you're not a human calculator either at least i expect you're not and marvin martin thank thank you for that admission jamie any thoughts on this before i move on um you know that uh i I think uh, you know martin's martin's correct in terms of how how and where customers will will address this you know is it is it in that distribution window um and we're hearing more and more and seeing more and more of the extremely distributed fulfillment networks uh in order to shrink that that delivery window for for customers I would say the other area too that we're seeing quite a bit of uh, of effort spent, and and it does have a direct impact on on the perfect orders around planning, um, and and I'll say in the sales and operations planning area, this is this is an area of of a lot of interest from clients. This is an area that they're looking at trying to drive a high level of standardization across the globe. So uh, each of the regions are planning in a very very similar way using similar technology. Um, so I I think the the Greater planning, the greater emphasis on product placement, and the network itself um, will will help lead to um, meeting the, the the high demands of a perfect order. Thank you very much. I'm going to move to some statements from Martin Barkman. Martin, let's talk about the change in global demographics. And you sent me some interesting notes citing millennials as well as Generation Z. Let me just read a couple of things here, and then I'll have you run with it. And then we can talk about web rooming and showrooming. You say, we've all heard about the new millennial generation, loosely defined as people born between the early 1980s and the early 2000s. We're calling this also the digitally native generation. They're comfortable with many digital devices and media, and they are not only entering the workplace, they're now... uh, Turning 35 years old, they're here. They're, they are rising through the ranks to managerial positions, decision-making. That Probably some of them are already in the C-suite in some smaller or very visionary companies. And then you talk about Generation Z, mobile, first mobile only. Nothing like millennials. They're born since the early 2000s. They are reliant and even exclusively dependent on their mobile devices for everything. So let's talk about how does this reflect on the supply chain, and does this change the definition, Martin? the definition of perfect order when you've got this new demographic in the workplace. They've got some money to burn, apparently, because they're out there buying stuff. So, Martin, why don't you introduce us to these global demographic changes and where, wherever your thoughts go. It is interesting, Bonnie, now, if, if you just look at a, a typical workplace, we have four or five, I guess, demographic generations in the workplace at the same time. And I, and I think that's great because it really brings in a very diverse perspective uh, from, from customers right into the workplace. There's mm-hmm. obviously has been and continues to be a lot of talk about millennials. They, they were the first generation to, to embrace uh, digital tools and digital ways of doing things. But this next generation, you know, just when we thought we understood the millennials, that this, and I think it's being called Generation Z, although from what I hear that could even change. I have a 15-year-old daughter, and it's astonishing to see uh, the technology that she uses very uh, effectively in her schoolwork, in her social life, and it is very much based on uh, shared computing, uh, cloud resources in the classroom, 
and of course uh, the mobile phone and, and sending her an email is just like doing nothing because she rarely reads email. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all based on, on interacting with the mobile phone and, and that has translated in the way uh, she interacts with brands, the way she acts as a consumer. You know, companies do uh, now have to recognize that if they, if they have a store, uh, the mobile phone is likely to be in the pocket of the person that's entering that, that store. So, so showrooming is the concept where people browse products on, uh, in the physical store, but then they go and buy it online, uh, whereas webrooming is where they browse products online, but then they go to pick up the product in, in a physical store. Uh, I've actually done that myself a few times, mm-hmm. um, you know, walking into a Walmart, knowing that the Walmart has the specific item I'm looking for, the person in the store not being sure, and then I'm able to show them on my mobile phone that they, they actually have it. So I think it's, it's, it's alive and well. The implication for supply chain is several fold. One is you have to have a consistent experience between your online and your physical um, uh, physical store. So everything from assortment to pricing to brand to look and feel uh, need, needs to be consistent. Um, and then the second thing is, as these generations, this is not just a, a U.S. or a Western economy trend. I travel extensively to Asia and, and to other places, and you're, you're seeing it in emerging economies uh, the same trend happening. But what's interesting for supply chains is the cost structure to serve those companies often has to be different, in many cases lower, in order to be able to profitably serve those customers that are now millennials and Generation Z using their mobile phones, looking at products, wanting to, to make purchases. So supply chains have to be prepared that to do something effectively in an emerging economy is perhaps different than to do it in a more mature economy. Thank you very much. Quick question before I invite Jamie Larson and Rich Bennerin on this conversation. Martin, does this change the definition of perfect order in terms of Gen Z, mobile only, mobile first? Uh, that's where the only place you're ever going to find them. Well, what's the, the impact on perfect order? No, it absolutely could, be simply because, um, uh, you know, to, to the expectations on when they would would want that product, for example, uh, could be very different. The mechanism for payment uh, mm-hmm. could be very different. I was in, uh, in Scandinavia earlier this summer, and it's interesting in the, the way mobile phones are used to make payments from person to person. They use an application in Sweden called Swish. So, Bonnie, if I owed you $30, I would just swish $30 to you through my mobile phone account. So the identifier is the mobile phone number. I would just basically send you a text with that money, and then the money would, as a result, transfer bank account to bank account. And there's even talk in some countries of eliminating hard currency altogether, uh, the the physical hard currency, and going to essentially an electronic payment system. And in, Mm -hmm. in the Nordics in Scandinavia, the adoption of that type of technology is, is ahead of what I see in, uh, in other countries. And so, you know, how do you do invoicing and how do you do that whole process knowing that even the mechanism for payment at the consumer level could be, uh, could be very different. So I suppose, yes, for the definition, uh, there could be another dimension, a fifth dimension, sixth dimension that constitutes what a perfect order needs to be in the future. 
Thank you. Very insightful comments. Jamie Larson, love to get your two cents or whatever you've got in your Swish account. What would you like to contribute here? <laughs> I've got zero on my Swish account, but um, I will contribute my two cents. Uh, okay. So I, I, I think, in, in fact, Rich and I had this very conversation a couple of weeks ago with, with some of the supply chain leadership in Monsanto, but talking about um, when, when you start to enter the, the, the digital market and um, looking at the perfect order, I'll say that not only a perfect order, but the perfect experience and the experience of the uh, the user placing order, um, the accuracy of information becomes so critical uh, in that regard. Um, if you say you have inventory, um, you're showing you have inventory. And um, I, I had a, a poor experience not too long ago walking into a, one of the large big box stores and expecting the inventory to be there and available. And um, it, it was not, even though it showed me online that it was. So mm. um, you, you certainly expose yourself um, to to issues and to poor experiences if, in fact, the accuracy of your, your information um, is not there and uh, uh, it, it ends up becoming a very poor experience for, uh, for the user. So that's, that's one thing that we stress is if you're, if, you're, if you're going into this world, you've got to make sure that your accuracy of whether it be inventory on hand, whether it be what's in, in, in shipment or you know, whether, what's being forecast from a manufacturing perspective, it's, it's got to be accurate because uh, the minute it's not and you end up having a poor experience, then you, you have the high potential of losing a customer. Absolutely. I, just a quick story here, Jamie. I was looking for some masquerade-style masks for the actors in a play I recently wrote and produced for my, my cable TV show. And I went to a uh, party store. We'll leave that alone. We'll tell you exactly which one. Big box party store. And all of the masks has been sold out. Apparently. So I went to the counter and I said, how come you don't have the green ones and the blue ones and the red ones? And they said, oh, it's color war season in the local day camps and summer camps here on Long Island. They bought out all the masks. So, of course, I said, well, when are you getting more in? And they said, I don't know. Call us on Tuesday. We're getting some kind of a shipment. We'll see. So I waited a couple of days. (laughs) It's silly me. I went back to the store, a.k.a. Bonnie Glutton for Punishment, and I saw boxes piled floor to ceiling that had the word Halloween all over them. And I figured, well, there must be some masks in here and I said are the masks and they said we don't know we didn't open the boxes yet I I swear I swear to God and I was getting closer and closer to my my rehearsal and my production date for the play so I finally went online I skipped this company entirely I found a company that would fabulously through Amazon Prime ship me oh 18 magnificent masks, just magnificent, in a package of 18 at free shipping in every color imaginable, and they were stunning and gorgeous, and everybody was thrilled, and that's the last time I'm going to that store. Do you blame me, Jamie? Really? Not, not, not at all. Not at all. Like you say, that's a, that's a poor experience, and, and these days it's just very easy for customers to, to change. So, you know, the accuracy of information is, is critical if you're going to start to expose it to, uh, to the customer base. And by the way, it takes employees who care, in my opinion. It ha- per- perfect order has to have something to do with human interaction, intervention, the human component. Martin, the human component of who, with whom you're interacting, if it's, whether it's the person on the other end of that customer support email or the phone call or the face-to-face at brick and mortar, it's got to have a human, human component in there. Uh, who does, I, just speaking to Jamie, Rich Benner, what's your thought about what we're talking about? Gen Z, mobile only, definitions of perfect. Perfect order, anything or everything. You know, um, on, on related to the measurement of the perfect order, I do think the calculation will remain the same. I mm-hmm. think the expectations of what that uh, of that number <laughs> of of that that's going to change as you have more mobile only, more immediate. Uh, 
the desire to have more immediate gratification on, on things. And I, I also have a uh, teenage daughter. My daughter's 14. I watch how much she engages with that phone uh, of hers and also the, the cloud-based computing. I kind of relate that to, you know, in our industry, I'm, we're in an agriculture company. If you think about an a typical customer, they may not be as tech savvy. Well, those people are retiring. Uh, the younger people are coming in, and the expectations that have, that the companies like Amazon and others, as the examples we use today, have um, have provided them is more. Um, uh, those expectations are so much higher than what they're parents or, or the, the older generation that are retiring. So we have to change internally. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out how do we change our processes, how we uh, interact with them in a more mobile way, uh, be able to place an order anywhere, anytime, uh, and have that product shipped to them in the time frame that they're expecting that. And so we are investing in those technologies and those capabilities to meet the demands of our uh, what's what the, of the generation that is now taking over these businesses? They certainly are. Thank you very much, uh, Martin Bartman. We have just a couple minutes left. Actually, about three and a half minutes until we go to our predictions round. And I'm seeing some interesting notes here from you in your long list of, of wonderful topics you sent. And I'd like to cover one more thing. I don't know if we'll have time for the other gentlemen to chime in, but let's give it a try. You say there are three basic types of data now being digitally created every second of every day. First is data generated by the product itself. Think 3D printers. Think smart devices. Think Internet signals. Think Internet of Things. Number two, the second is vast amounts of data generated by consumers and points of consumption, such as social media, smart shelves, and vending machines. And the third is a new category, data generated by external sources and environmental factors like sporting events and weather conditions. How does this all fit into our perfect order conversation, Martin? Yeah, no, it's a, um, the, the data explosion is, is alive and well. And mm-hmm. um, what, what's, what's challenging now is quickly we're going to find ourselves in what I call the kid in the candy store sy- syndrome, right? Which is if you, if you ask a kid, would you like a candy bar? Typically the answer is yes, if you give them one. But if you go into a, a 7-Eleven and I also have a 12-year-old son and I say, hey, you can pick a snack, he can't decide because there are simply too many snacks to choose from. And we find that now with data. Um, people are so used to working with data, but when there's so much available, it's difficult to know where to start, what to pick, how to massage it, how to process it. The, the career of being a data scientist is one of the hottest careers right now for, for college grads. And what I expect now, or what we're seeing, is much more emphasis on predictive analytics, meaning uh, leveraging artificial intelligence uh, inside computers uh, and computing power to actually go out and figure out what's happening, what's changing uh, with respect to, to all this information that's available and what does that mean for a company and prescribing automatically at least a, a, an option or two for how to, how to attain that perfect order. So, for example, you know, let's say that, that the data is saying that demand is likely to spike because of a combination of weather and promotions that are being run. When that's backdropped against the availability of product and what's planned for production, a shortage is anticipated. 
now getting to the point where a computer can automatically recommend, you know, two or three alternatives for, for attaining that perfect order, whether it be uh, changing production or expediting shipments or, or maybe uh, something else altogether, and presenting that to the user, to the planning community, uh, with the financial implications of each of these choices. That's quite a bit of analytics that, mm-hmm. that commences with the analysis of data. But that, to me, is the next big uh, emphasis and trend in what we're seeing a lot of companies asking for and looking for in pursuit of that perfect order. Martin, I think you just uh, launched us, <laughs> unintentionally or otherwise, into our predictions round. May I take that statement you just made, that very profound statement, and use that as your crystal ball prediction? Do you want to embellish it? Because then I'll go back to Jamie and I'll go over to Rich. So do you want to make that your crystal ball? Should I come back to you one more time, Martin? Quick. Uh, no, let's hear from some of the other folks. Okay, let's go to Jamie Larson. Jamie, I can give you 60 seconds. At what point in the future will this whole conversation change? Customer centricity through the perfect order. Tell me something profound and prophetic. 60 seconds, Jamie Larson, EY, go. I, I think that um, you're going to see more and more of the capabilities that's executing the, per- the perfect order out in cloud-based solutions and moving off uh, from, from on-prem. I mean, there's various statistics that have been quoted um, as high as 90% of, of spend in supply chain execution uh, will be will be based on cloud. So um, I, I'm I'm thinking it's more closer to 75% across the supply chain will start to move to the cloud, and and this includes the execution, the fulfillment, the planning, um, the the procurement. I mean, it's just more and more of a a push because of these applications allow for standardization can be stood up very very quickly and value realized um, in in a much quicker manner. So that's um, that's what I'm predicting. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Rich Benner at Monsanto. What do you see in in the Monsanto crystal ball? You know, I, I agree with Jamie. Jamie's actually helping us to do some of this work uh, at our at our company here. So we are uh, going cloud first. We are going to be doing mobile first. Um, that is going to be what this the, my crystal ball is saying that. We won't have a data center um, at at our company. Mm. We will be leveraging cloud uh, services. That in, in order uh, to meet the needs that we were talking about earlier, as we think about mobile, as we think about speed, uh, the data analytics, and how you can process a lot of this data, you just have a lot more flexibility. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm very much in that, in that camp uh, as well. Thank you very much. Martin, I will officially turn it over to you for 60 seconds. Martin Barkman, what's your official prediction from your perch at SAP Supply Chain? Go ahead. Well, one of the things that is I've been thinking about a lot and, and written about a little is right now everything we do uh, personally and professionally is being uh, recorded and saved in some digital way, shape, or form, right? So, be, so, so for example, because I am not nobility, I know very little about my ancestors. I kind of know my great-grandparents' names, sort of, and then the trail ends. And I can't help but think that in 100 years, in 400 years, our offspring is going to be able to go back and very easily see how we lived, what we did, with whom we interacted, what decisions did we make, and why. And if I extend that to the business world, I think that has some pretty interesting implications. For example, uh, customers can say, well, you know, seven years ago, you know, what did we learn? And all the information will be available for investigation, for analysis, 
for computers to learn from. And I just think that that trend, that change could be quite, quite profound. And I just think it's an interesting uh, thing to think about is, 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 you know, in, in 40 years, people can look back and see that we did this radio show today. They can see our pictures. They mm-hmm. can probably find our emails that we exchanged in preparation for this radio show. And if we extend that to, to running a supply chain, there needs to be less emphasis on coming up with theoretical models that predict the world because you'll be able to see it and analyze it and, and actually just go back and, and, and look at the information rather than trying to guess or, or reconstruct historic models based on, on, on how something is operating. So I don't think it's a, it's a prediction. I don't think I'm smart enough to know exactly how it will play out, but I do believe uh, this digitization trend is, uh, has some pretty interesting potential avenues in which, which the world will change. I agree, and I'm thinking digitization, I'm thinking cameras, I'm thinking the millions of cameras in New York City, and I won't say what happened this weekend, but we all know they that helped them, helped the law enforcement immensely to catch a very dangerous perpetrator. I was in the city Saturday night blocks away after it happened, but before the second one was discovered, so a little bit strange, but there are thousands and thousands of cameras, not only digitally, digitally capturing us, but capturing us as real human beings for somebody to look at and do all kinds of... Uh, identification on us. So the world has definitely changed. I have a quick bonus question for all of you. Yes or no answer, please, Jamie Larson, Eddie Y. Will the influx of millennials and Gen Z in the next few years into the workforce ascending up to positions of power, management, decision-making, will they impact the definition of perfect order? Will they want it to be something different? Yes or no, Jamie Larson? Yes. Okay. Rich Benner, thoughts quick? Yes or no? Yes, I do. Martin Bartman? I'd be shocked if they didn't. Ah, I like that. Okay. Thank you very much. A man of many words and few words and right on the nail here. Customer centricity through perfect order. I have special thank you to our three wonderful guests. You were all very generous with your thought leadership and your insights and your charm. Jamie Larson, Rich Benner, Martin Barkman, and shout out again to Rick Imber at SAP and Shane Ellis. Shane, great job putting together a superb panel. We brought this topic to life. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out also to Justin Jackman at Game at World Talk Radio. He's a game changer to our engineer for getting us on the air and keeping us there. And I'm going to say just now, here's my call to action. We've had a great show. Pass it along. Tell everybody around the world you heard something really, really interesting about supply chain. Who knew? Here you go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.